I'm excited about um, this series because, not just because I like roller coasters. How many, again, how many like them? How many, let me just ask you a simple question though. How many, who's, who's probably not been on one for a long time? Like let's say five years, you haven't been, even been on one. How about 10 years? Keep your hands up, 10 years. 20 years? Okay. Okay, can you tell me where the best place is to sit? Okay, I heard some front, I heard some back. Okay, and if you don't know this, if you're, if you're new at this, or maybe you haven't ridden roller coasters enough, let me just give you a tip here, okay? Because if you're going to ride a roller coaster and get the most out of it, the middle's okay. I mean, that's what the roller coaster is designed for is the middle. But if you want the most out of it, there's, there's two ways to go here. Now, the back has an advantage that the front doesn't have and the middle doesn't have. And maybe you didn't know this before. Maybe you've, maybe you've gone to get in line and you've seen they've got all those bays where you can go choose what part of the, the ride you're going to be on. You see that the back is really a long line. You wonder, why, what are those people doing? Why would they wait extra time to just get in the back? And if you don't know this, I'm going to give you a tip here. It's a pro tip. Here's how it works. See, if you're on the back of the roller coaster, as it goes over those dips, especially the first one, so you go click, 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 remember that? Click, 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 and you're getting up to the top. When it actually starts to make the dip, the momentum, the way it works is when it goes over like that, it starts to gain speed, 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 and then the very tail of the roller coaster will actually flip up and over as it goes over. Did you know that? Who did not know that? Okay, tip for you. It's fun. That makes it a lot more fun. So as you go over, you whoa, that's even extra. Awesome. In fact, just now, I just feel, when does World's Fun open, actually? Because, oh, man, that would be fun. Okay, now the front has advantages, too. And if you've never waited for the front, I, I recommend it, especially on certain roller coasters. Especially, like, I don't even know what they call it now at, at, uh, at our Six Flags, but it, uh, do they call it Batman there? Yeah, it is, right? Where there's, no, you, there's nothing for your feet. You know what I'm talking about? So you're just hanging there, so your feet are hanging in space. Front is awesome on that one. Or the one they have one in Silver Dollar City like that too. The front is awesome because, you, you, know, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're second, what do you look at? The person's head in front of you, right? And there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. It's just, it's just not the same. If you're in the very, very front, it's almost like you are, and those with no defeat, you are flying. It is awesome. Who wants to do that? Like four of you. It is awesome. I can't even tell you how much fun that is. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Like, it's a sensation. It's, it's not quite the same, but, I mean, you know, riding a Jeep with the top off. I mean, there's so many things. You know, motorcycle. There's, you know, skydiving. There's so many of those things that you can do in life where you are just flying without flying. But you're totally out in space, and it's just you hanging right out there, and you're just, you see everything first. That's awesome. You with me? I don't see a lot of faces with me, actually. That's what's fun about it. Now, someone pointed out, and I love this, it was, it was a high school student, she pointed out, um, she didn't tell me directly, but her mom told me, she was, she, I guess she leaned over in church and said, but mom, Pastor Dennis keeps saying up and down when he's talking about the good and the bad in life, but the down is the best part, right? On the roller coaster, but on your life, the roller coaster of life, that, you know, the thing is about that roller coaster, life is ups and downs, and there's things where you're really happy and high about, I mean, it's just a good thing, and then... Sometimes you, you're not looking for that tail flip experience and you get it in life and it's not always good or you didn't choose it or you didn't wait in line for that experience. It just is happening to you and you can't get off. And I don't know about you, but there have been times where, you know, the, <laughs> you know they got the people working there who come by and check the bar that holds you in. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, how many of you do this? You can be honest because you're in church. You should be more honest here, right? <laughs> Okay, how many of you lift your legs just a little so it's not quite as tight? Okay, thank you. I, just, I don't want to be that tight in there. I mean, I can be tight, but come on. 
but they come in and they kind of jerk that down to make sure it clicks one more click. I'm not a fan of that. Or they grab your seatbelt and crank it on there, and you're like, oh, now I can't breathe. Thank you very much. And now we're going to go upside down, and I really can't breathe. And I, get, I know what you're saying. Some of you are like, but don't you want to be more safe? Yes, I do. I'm not against safety. It's just I want to breathe. I want to breathe through the whole thing and enjoy it more. So, But as they come to do that, and you think about there's times in your life where you feel like somebody is cranking that bar tighter and tighter. And you can't get out, and you can't squirm, and you can't move, and you're on this roller coaster, and you don't know when it's going to stop. Now, we could be honest about this, too. How, how many of you have been on a coaster? Now, most of them are over too soon, right? And they program them that way. That's part of what they're doing because they want you to ride again and pay to come back again. And I mean, if they gave you a ride that wore you out, you'd never do it again. I mean, they, I mean but there's some that are too short, but then there are some where you do legitimately think, is this ever going to be over, <laughs> Right? How many of you have done that one that just, you sit in it and it's like on a big tower, so you're all facing outside and then it shoots you straight up, right? And then it kind of goes down. I mean, it's, that's fun too. But, but I've, I've ridden near people, people I didn't know, who were just like, stop it, I want it off. I can't, you know, and I think about that sometimes because our lives can be like that. And there is no off. There is no stepping off life. I mean, life is life, and it, and it comes, and it keeps coming, and you don't get to pick the ups and downs. And the thing about it is, like we talked about, Jesus promised us that life would be difficult. And, and I, I know that, you know, a lot of times as we sell and talk about Christianity and we want people to come to Christ, you, you know, like any good salesperson, you tell them the good things, right? And Christianity is amazing, and there is love, joy, and peace. There's no question about it. That is the Christian life. But I don't want anybody to get the idea that it's just that or all that or that becoming to Christ, it's love, joy, and peace and never an up and down or never a trouble because then what happens is you sold them love, joy, and peace and they're like, oh, yeah, but this is also hard. And then what they do is they, they throw away everything because it wasn't exactly what you promised and Jesus never promised it that way. He told us life would be difficult at times. What he promises is to walk with us through life. He promised us that he would live life with us and be with us. And he promised us that just as he has overcome the world, you can overcome the world. And you do that by linking arms with him and living life through him, not on your own. That's how it works. That's how it works. Yes, thank you, Lord. And we've been looking at the life of Elijah and all the ups and downs. And we, we look at how, how he was chosen out of almost obscurity. You don't know anything about him. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Bible is like that. Because, I mean, really, I know that there's some really standout people here. And some of you were voted most likely to succeed in school. I get that. But if you think about even your school, let's say you went to an average high school. Maybe 800, maybe 1,000 in your class or, or less or whatever. Whatever your high school class was. How many were voted that? A guy and a girl, right? Probably, right? I mean, seriously, how many of us, if, if all you saw in the Bible was, was this list of great people who were, who were perfect in every way and, and you know, were on the front of magazines and had all these skills and talents, and, and then you look at that and you realize, that's not me and I can never be that, but that's not how God works. He uses everybody from every strata, and he, he takes people out of, out of obscurity, and if you're willing to be used by him, and if you're willing to do what he asks you to do, then he will use you, and he'll do mighty, amazing things, not in your power, but in his. And there's a relief in that, because it's not all you, it's him and you working together to do those amazing things. So we see him, and that's an up, God chooses him, and then he gets to go have an audience with the king, that's an up, 
And then I know down is the best part of the roller coaster, but then in his life, down would have been then when he gives, he gives the king this message because that king, as you recall, he had taken the people of Israel and he led them to worship these idols. And the one, the main one, the main one in their area was this guy. They called him, his name was Baal, B-A-A-L, or in their language, there would have been an apostrophe between the two A's. It would have been Baal. And then he was called the cloud rider. He was the god of thunder. He was the god of lightning. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been quite the same as Zeus. It wouldn't have been the same as that, but similar. In that, I mean, he, he was the, kind of the king of their gods, but, but not quite the same. He didn't have all the ruling ability and all that. But still, regardless, that wasn't God. And our God, the God of everything, the God of the lightning and the sea and, and the God of the air and the God of everything, every dark corner and every bright light and mountaintops and valleys, the God who created all that, obviously wasn't happy with Ahab. And so because of that, he sent Elijah to tell him, not only is that God not real and I am real, I'm gonna take away the very thing you think that that God provides, the rain. So it's not gonna rain for, he, he said, a few years, which we know are three or more, and it didn't rain. And when the rain stopped, uh, Elijah was a wanted man. And again, that would be kind of a down. And then God provides for his needs. Remember, we talked about that. He provides for his needs in an incredible way. And then uh, he puts him by a brook and he's feeding him. And then the brook, brook dries up. Remember? You getting the ups and downs here? I, I, and obviously our lives aren't quite the same. I mean, probably none of us have stood before a king and given him a message from God, I'm guessing, right? None of you have been living by a brook and fed by ravens, probably. And then the brook dries up and God sends him to a widow, kind of an up. I'm gonna take care of you through this unusual means. And then as we talked about last week, he goes and he talks to her. And not only does she have very little to eat, but she's going to be her last meal and die, kind of a down. And then God comes through, right? Big, big up here. Um, and then she always has enough flour and oil. And the oil's left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. I mean, that's an up. And that's where we ended last week. They're being provided for. Everything is good, Right? How many, how many of in your life would you say you're on an up right now and everything is good? Okay. That's not a lot of you, but that's okay. How many would you say you're maybe on the way up? You feel like you're going up. Okay. How many just don't want to raise your hand? <laughs> but you raised your hand for that, but okay. All right. And I understand you don't want to disclose everything, and I, you're probably, <laughs> I get it. Um, and some of you might be on the down right there. But if you're, <clears throat> here's, here's the thing about life. If you're on the up, Yay you, but it probably won't last. Am I right? I mean, we don't live in a constant up. That's not real life. The down is coming. And a lot of times it's when you get surprised by that and you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought it was happily ever after. Well, yeah, in the fairy tales it is. You read through someone's life and you read about all, a, a few ups and downs and then it ends on the up and it's all good that way forever. And ever, and they never have another problem and never encounter another loss or never, never have anything run out or never, never think every breaks and they don't lose any jobs and, and life is perfect forever. But you know how it is. You fill up your car how many times? Once a week, every two weeks, right? It doesn't last forever. The fact is there's ups and downs and life is like that. So as we look into his life, we're gonna see something that is not an up. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse. And finally, he died. I can't think of a worse down. I'm sorry. There are downs in life, but this is down, way down. Then she said to Elijah, 
O man of God, what have you done to me? How have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Mm. Mm. What? <laughs> Ouch. I don't know if you've been in a situation like this, but there's going to be times where you're going to get blamed. You are going to get blamed. You. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight into the, the drama and the dynamics of what happened at that moment. I, I, I know that if you think about the story and the way that it was described there, Elijah would have been with them. He lived there. He lived in a room there. He would have known the boy was sick, right? What do you think he did? Do you think he prayed? Do you think he cared? Do you think he was concerned? I mean, I'm sure that this man of God who had been there, walked with them through miracles, I mean, she was going to make her last cake and die, and then he says, bake me one first. She obeys, she does it. Their flour and oil never runs out, right? And then he's praying for his son, and the son dies. How do you think he felt? Oh, I'm sure he felt terrible. I'm sure he felt somewhat responsible. And she puts her finger in his face and says, what have you done to me? Have you come just to point out my sin? It's interesting because if you haven't experienced this yet, you will be blamed and you will be persecuted even when you're doing the right things. So who's to blame? Who's to blame? Is it Elijah? Is it God? Is it you? What, what is it about us? We, <laughs> what is it about blame? We want to blame, don't we? Isn't that a natural response? Anytime something goes wrong, you're like, how could this happen? Who did this? Why did this happen? And we, we in our humanity and, and everything we know is so, so limited, and we want to know what caused this thing. I mean, here you are in a, in a moment of your life and everything crashes in and you want one reason, one person, one thing to point to and say, that is why, or he is why, or she is why. And, and in reality, life is so much more complex than that. There's never really one thing. I mean, usually not. I mean, you can't just point and say it's one thing. But we want to know, right? In, in some weird way, if we can just point to something and get a concrete answer, we can blame them, and then, then we have no personal responsibility in it at all. When sometimes it was, it was maybe, maybe it was 90-10, or maybe it was 60-40, or maybe it was a 10-10-10-10-10, or maybe the, the fact is that there's a lot of reasons things happen, but we want one thing. Somehow it makes us feel better if we just point and say, this is your fault, her fault, his fault, God's fault, society's fault. I mean, why did I lose my job? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how many times are you late? Or, or what's going on in the economy? Or what's going on in the whole business? Or, I mean, there's, it's more than that. But we want some cosmic thing to blame it on. And, and a lot of times, God is the one that we blame. But, but because a lot of times, people can't blame God, they're going to blame you. And they're going to be angry at you because you represent God to them. And maybe you never thought about it this way because we want to be always representing God when it's all wonderful, right? When everything's happening great. And when everything's going just peachy and fine and everything's wonderful and we say, yes. And then when things go wrong, we're like, I don't know why you're looking at me like that. I didn't do it. I think what it does is it, it illuminates really our own inability to control everything in life. And because of that, we just want to blame. And I, I believe this too, that sometimes pain makes us question what you do know. 
Because as you're going through pain and when things aren't adding up, you start to wonder what is going on in life and did anything I believe in really, really, really make sense? And was any of it real? Did God ever really care? I mean, could it, could it be that I missed the whole thing and, and everything I thought was true isn't true? <laughs> the son dies and she blames Elijah. I believe this. <clears throat> I believe there's times where we want to find one thing and certainly there are, there are examples maybe you could give me in life where it's one thing and one problem, but the fact is there's many things that go into problems. And our, our tendency to blame isn't, isn't probably even a healthy thing because it keeps us from, from taking responsibility for our part and being fair and clear about things where it's, it's never just one thing. It's a series of things. And the fact is when it's easy to blame God and God loves you, desperately loves you. And the Bible tells us that it's the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And when you point to him in the middle of pain and sorrow and bad things, he's sitting there saying, I love you, child, but I didn't cause this. However, if you come near to me, I can take this thing and turn it into a beautiful thing. I can take this horrible thing and make it into something that you couldn't even imagine. I mean, Romans 8.28 says that everything works together for good to those that are called, love him and are called according to his purpose. He takes those things and makes good things. Not only that, he takes our pain and our sorrow and he uses that to draw us to him. And I know that might sound weird. I used part of this quote a couple weeks ago and somebody asked me for for the quote and as I was showing it, I thought, you know, I should have shown you the fuller quote. This is C.S. Lewis, a renowned theologian. He came to Christ in his later years, and he's one of the most read Christian theologians of all time. He said this. He said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's it's megaphone to rouse a dying world. He uses that as as a way to do this. This is what he does. Our need points us to the true source. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Maybe maybe funds are tight. And you thought your source was your job or your bank account or somebody else in your life. And you realize ultimately even they and them and that are not your source. Maybe it's your health. And as your health is declining and you, you look to a doctor, you look to something and you think, God, I need something desperately. And you finally turn to him. It's in those times where those needs that we experience that bring us literally to our knees and in a position where all we can see is up that we see him, sometimes the most clear for the first time. I don't know if any of you have been close to death or had a near-death experience, but I'll be honest with you. You don't appreciate every day and the breath of life until you've experienced that. You just don't. And you may not ever, and I pray you never do. But the fact is, people who have walked near death's door know what life is and appreciate it more clearly. It's just true. And I've talked to people, you know, in in their deathbed and people who have lived their life for Christ, and it's amazing to talk to them when they're that close. And I've talked to so many of them, they'll say, I'm closer to him than I've ever been. And I have to ask, I'm like, well, is that because you feel like you're going to see him in a minute? And they say, no, I just feel like I'm communing with him like I never did when life was great. And you talk to him and they say, it's almost like all those distractions are gone. All those things I thought were important and all those things that filled my days, now it's just him and I. I wish it didn't take that at times, but sometimes it does for us to look to him. Let me ask you, you, you know, as a minister, our, our job, and my, 
the call in my heart is to lead people to Christ. And we do that in so many ways. We, we've got a comedy show that we're using to hopefully lead people to Christ, to get people curious. And, and I look for opportunities to, to lead people to Christ. But let me ask you what you think. Where, where do you think more ministry happens that, that I get to be part of? Do you, think, um, do you think there's more ministry available to me at a wedding or a funeral? I'm serious. Do you know how much time I spend preparing somebody for marriage? Usually we meet three, four times, usually at least an hour, sometimes longer in counseling. And then I meet, we talk about the, the wedding plan and we, we organize that. I get to know the family. We do a rehearsal. I do get to spend a lot of time with people. But guess what? They're not thinking about eternity like they are when we're planning a funeral. And some of you might think, oh, I'd never want to do that. And be honest, I, that's not, I don't want to. I get to. Does that make sense? It's not like I look forward to that, but, but the opportunity where people are open to understanding and seeing eternity in a way that they never would at another time in life. I, it just is what it is. What do you think, a birthday party or a, or a hospital room? There's no question, right? No question. We were talking about this the other day. I was visiting somebody at the hospital this last week, and, and I was walking out with, <clears throat> with, with their son and, and wife and grandchild. And as we were walking down, um, what they said to me, it's so hard not to look in each room and wonder what they're dealing with and wonder what's going on. And I said, I know. That's why as I walk down these hallways, I pray for those people. And there's been times where I've accidentally got in the wrong room, which is awkward, I'll just tell you. <laughs> You know, we walk, I was walking, I was visiting somebody, and I, I had the wrong room number for some reason. They'd give me the wrong number, and I, I just walk on in because I, I thought I recognized them. And I walk in like, oh, I was already to the bed before I realized it's not them. You know, and the lady in the bed, she's looking at me like, who are you? And the lady sitting there is like, what are you doing in our room? And, you know, clearly I'm not a doctor, and what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a minister, and I was here to pray with somebody. I must have gotten the wrong room. And they say, can you pray for us? I don't know, I don't think I walked in the wrong room. I think it was a God thing that they needed prayer. And I know people have asked me, I, I mention this occasionally, but you know, I, I have a prosthetic leg, and at one time I was rushing to the hospital, somebody was getting a heart stent put in at the last minute, and you know, I, I don't typically run to the hospital in shorts and a t-shirt, but I was that day. And I'm riding the elevator up, and the, there's a mom and a daughter on the elevator, and the daughter said, I wish you could talk to my dad. I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, I just, it was kind of weird. Like, why are you, I, you know, I mean, uh, elevator conversations can be awkward anyway because you're in that enclosed space and, you know, it's just weird. And, and I said, why? And she said, well, you seem to be okay with that prosthetic and my dad just lost his leg to diabetes and he's really struggling. And I said, well, that's interesting because I'm a minister and I'm here to talk to somebody. What room are they in? I, I told you this before. It was the room next door. What are, do you hear what I'm saying? Where do you think more ministry happens? Church picnic or a jail cell? Do, do you see what I'm saying? I don't believe that God puts those things on people, but I believe he calls to them because at, at a unique time in their life, they're ready to see him. And their need points to their source where nothing else is going to satisfy I mean, what, when you've lost somebody and you're faced with the eternity of life and death and you wonder where you're going to end up, heaven or hell, and what does it take to get there, and I'm, am I ready? Do you, 
Do you know what is one of the greatest privileges of all time? It's to talk to somebody in a hospital bed who says, I need to know for sure that I'll go to heaven. And I can tell them, we can take care of that right now. This moment, this moment. Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms. Can you see the picture? She was holding her son in her arms when she pointed that finger and said, why did you come here just to take my son? She hands him to Elijah. And he carries him up the stairs to the room where he was staying. And he laid the body on the bed. I, I pondered over that one verse for a long time this week. I, who do you trust with your heart? Do you realize what she was doing? That was her heart in her arms. We're about to celebrate Mother's Day. One of my favorite quotes about mothers is that, you know, as mothers, it's your, your heart walks around outside your body and your children. She's holding her heart. Well, who do you trust that way? This man that she just accused of taking her son, she hands her heart to him in his arms. I don't know. I, some of you have a problem that's so personal, it's just like that. It might involve your child. It might involve the fact that their marriage is, is horrible and you, you grieve for your daughter or your son every day. It might be your own marriage. It might be a problem in your past that you can't even tell anybody about, that you carry around, and it, it hurts so deeply. It's your heart, and you can't even hand it off to somebody to care for you and pray for you. And I look at that, and I think, oh, my Lord, a deep wound, and you, you carry it like that. Can, can you hand that over to God? Can you hand them over to God? She did that day. And Elijah, he, he cried out to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, my God, what have you brought? Why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? That's not John 15, 20. I'm sorry. In case any of you are checking that, it's seven, it's, that's 1 Kings 17, 20. I would say that's another down. Is it okay to question God? You might be sitting here and you might be sensing and feeling a deep guilt because you questioned God like that. And you may never have thought about it because a lot of times we read over these stories and we don't, we don't see the little things in there because we've already raced ahead to the end and you may already know the end of the story and you know it ends good. You know it's an up again. We're down and now we're going to go up and that's the series and we're up and down and you know it's going to end up, right? But you never thought about the fact that Elijah right here, I mean, let's look at that again. He cries out and he says, oh Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who's opened her heart? What is he saying? God, what are you thinking? This is the one you sent me to who has provided for me and he's taking care of me. What are you doing here? Why is there a dead child on this bed? What are you thinking? And we ask, why? Is it okay to question? You've read the Bible. I know you have. And the fact is you see people questioning all the time. And maybe you, maybe you gloss over it and you think, or maybe you think it's different. It's David. It's okay for King David to do that in Psalm after Psalm after Psalm because he's King David. But you can't question. And you can't ask, God, what's going on? And you look at your life and you think, God, this doesn't make sense and it's not adding up. And why, why, why? Why me? I remember my secretary at Sheffield got breast cancer. And I remember one day she, she kept saying she was fine, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. 
Remember one day I walked into, into the office, and the way that was, their office, you walk in, there's office, and there's an office here and here, my office is right here. I said, Jan, are you okay? She came in my office, and she said, no, I'm not okay. Why me? Why me? I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I didn't even get to, I, there isn't, there's no answer to that. She said, it's, it's not right. She says, I take care of myself. I, I work out all the time. I, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I've lived for God, and I, I, I volunteer, and I, I work at the church. I, why me? Why me? We ask God, why is evil happening? And we live in a really, really nice country, Right? Got an email from our missionaries, the Sobies in Nicaragua. They're right in the capital of Nicaragua. And you may not have seen this on the news, but there is a revolution happening in Nicaragua right now. The president is, a, is, is communist, and he's, they just pushed this through the Congress last year, I think it was, that he could be in power in, you know, forever. He's a big fan of Ortega and a big fan of everybody else before him like that. And there's rioting in the streets, and there's anti-government forces that are blocking streets and tearing up the roads and and there's it's warfare they're not safe and they're crying out god why why this violence i mean the ministry is flourishing and they've got all these children that are caught in the middle and and they've heard from some of their missionaries and they've got missionaries in every every little county in nicaragua and they they can't even get to the church i mean it's why god why right now what is this going on the problem with it is that when you question, a lot of times we start to question God's character, and in the middle of it, we start to say, God, I'm doubting your goodness right now because of what's happening to me. The thing is, when you're asking that why, there's nothing wrong with asking why, but when we do that, you, you start to forget that you serve a God who sees not only the present, but the future and the past, and he sees every detail before and after and in the middle and everything that goes into everything. And you say, why me? Why not? Why now? And how much more can I take? And what we seldom do in the middle of that is to say, God, I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. And I don't know what you're going to do, but I trust that you're going to walk me through this. And what you do is going to be good. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect for you, but it's, he can do good things. It may not be exactly what you think, but it may be good in a way that you hadn't thought. And you might, you might we seldom do this, but... What if we said, God, I'm hurting right now, but is there other people hurting around me who I could help in the middle of this? You know, you know what's one of the most amazing things is when I get to visit you in the hospital and I find out from their nurse how you're their favorite. They tell me this all the time about you when you're in the hospital and they, they talk to everybody and they brighten our day and we fight over who gets to, who gets to take care of them because everybody else in here is really angry and negative, but they are sweet and kind in the middle of their pain. You can minister in a way in the middle of suffering that you can't in any other way. You might ask God, what can you show me through this? What could I learn in this experience that I could never learn in another? And you may not, nobody wants this, but if your life was just perfect in every way and everything was always wonderful and sunshine and tulips or roses and rainbows and what else is good? I can't even think. Unicorns and, yeah, presents and whatever, I don't know. You're pretty shallow. Am I right? I mean, really. Maybe you've talked to people and you're talking to them and they, you, you, they're describing their problems and, you know, the first thing that probably flashes through your mind is 
first world problems. Somebody told me the other day, my remote on my TV broke, so we just watched the one channel because I'm like, you know that you can change the channel on the TV. Yeah, but it's up underneath, and you got to push the button, and then you go back and sit down. And I go, wow, that's what we live, right? Yeah, one of my cars broke down. One of my cars broke down, right? Gas is what? Getting it close to $3. Gas is getting close to three dollars. I'll tell you, I, I don't want problems, but it makes you a different person, and it makes you able to understand people in a way that nothing else could do. It's one thing to ask God why, but it's another thing to doubt His character. He's good. I want to challenge you to do this in confusing situations. Pray for wisdom, and then expect an answer. Look at—I don't know if I've ever used a verse from Habakkuk in my entire life. I. I, I've, I've read Habakkuk, but I, look at this. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Can you imagine saying that to God? Most of us would be afraid to say that, but, but it's in the Bible. He says this, the prophet Habakkuk, he says, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. That's Habakkuk 1, 2. And then in, in just a few verses later in 5, it says, God says to him, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. God promises things that you can't even imagine. But I think a lot of times we get so down and we have such limited view of what he's a, a capable of because all we can see is just the, the finality and the problem that we're living in that we can't see beyond it. And we get so, no, please don't be offended, we get so self-absorbed and selfish about what we're going through that we can't even celebrate the greater things that God's doing all around us. And sometimes when you're hurting, you can't celebrate what God's doing in someone else's life because your attitude is, well, not to me. You know what? If you could start celebrating them, what's happening to you would seem so much less. And the thing is, for now, we can only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now we only know in part. Then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. The fact is, you, even as much as you do know, you don't know it all. And the fact is, God is doing, amaz doing amazing things. So many times you judge your, your life by this one little snapshot of time where it's difficult and hard and horrible. How many babies would we actually have if you women really remembered what it was like? Right? I mean, if you judged all of life by those hours where you're giving birth, no one would ever be born. How many have judged life by, we said this a lot, but kind of that you judge your life in this moment by someone else's highlight reel on Facebook and you feel like it's poor me and it's so sad, but the fact is life is bigger than that and God is doing bigger things. The thing is you need to remember what he's done. You need to remember what God has done. He's done things in your life and, and, and look at Elijah's life. Help me remember some of the things they did. I mean, he what did he do? Call him be a prophet. Spoke to him. He, he prayed in the rain stopped. He was fed by ravens. I, I said this thought this week. The ravens brought, they brought meat and bread. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know where the meat came from. I don't know how that worked, okay? We don't know. But the bread thing. Did, did God break bread for them? Did he just fly through a bakery? I'm just asking. This is not Bible. I'm just asking. Could it have been manna, like what the Israelites in the, you know, the 40 years in the wilderness ate? It, it, 
it's funny because that word manna means what is it? Because when they would gather it up, it, it says it would be flaky and cakey and have sweet taste to it. <laughs> he lived like that. He'd seen miracles. He'd seen amazing things, supernatural food. Oh, my goodness sakes. But he started to worry and blame God, too. What's God done for you? What has he done for you? Big things, little things. Maybe you're sitting and you're thinking, well, he's never done anything like that for me. I bet you he's done things for you. I bet he has. I bet, and if I could have the, the worship team come forward, I, I, bet, I bet he's done things and you didn't even know. I bet you didn't even notice. How many times has God protected you when you were totally clueless about what was going on? And yet, in the middle of your ignorance, he was still there protecting. And then you look back and think, God, your hand of protection was there. On the way back from the retreat, a friend of mine and I, we were talking about that and some of the crazy, silly, stupid things we did as kids and reckless, and yet God protected and close calls, and you wonder how many other things like that. And I'm not trying to build a theology of this, but there have been so many times, and Nicole has been really instrumental pointing this out because I never saw or thought of this kind of stuff till, till really we met. But there's been times where we've been delayed on a, on a trip and we're trying to go somewhere and trying to make something happen or maybe it was just an appointment where I, I headed out and for some reason there's this delay and then you're thinking, oh, I can't believe I'm late. And then you roll up on an accident and you think, I'd have been right there. And, and I'm not building a theology there, God forbid. I don't, I don't want the person who was in the accident to have it. Quite honestly, I'd rather be me than them. I don't know where they're at or their soul's at or their spiritual condition's at. But I don't know how many times God has protected us that way. You don't even know. You don't even know what he's provided for you. You're ever even looking. I mean, think about your husband or wife that he was, he was guiding and providing, and then you were married to them. And maybe you've been romantic at one time and think, oh, I can't believe how God put us together. And look at this. And, da, 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 and he did. <laughs> how many times has he arranged blessings that you even thought was just you? Or maybe you thought you were responsible or somebody else, and he did it. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fail and fall, for the Lord holds them by his hand. The fact is, he loves you, and you don't even appreciate it sometimes because you didn't even know it was him doing stuff for you. The fact is, he loves you, and you didn't even, you didn't even thank him and th realize it was him. But we're quick to blame when stuff goes wrong and say, I can't believe you did this to me, and we don't even thank him for the things he did. We didn't even notice it was him. <laughs> Let's read the rest of this. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. He revived. I love this prayer, too. It's so simple and direct. Nothing really fancy, right? No King James English. Didn't do any of the things that sometimes we think are more spiritual. If we prayed this way, maybe God would do it. Or we, we bargain with him. Do I need to do this? Do I need to stand on one leg? Do I, what do I do? Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. And the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God. And the Lord speaks through you. He speaks through you. I want you to notice a couple things. What did Elijah do? Did he say, told you so? He said, how could you doubt? God didn't do that to Elijah either. At least we don't see it. What I'm trying to tell you is, it's okay to be, be upset even angry. God can handle it. You can be a Christ follower and be angry at him sometimes. You can question and wonder, God, what are you doing? What is happening? I want you to do this. I want you to ask your questions. 
But in asking your question, remember that he loves you. Remember that he's good. And remember that he's done things for you that you probably didn't even notice or even thank him for. And then what I want you to do is start to seek him in the middle of that. Jeremiah 23, 13 says, you will, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And as you're walking through those things and you realize that whatever source you thought was going to satisfy isn't satisfying, and whatever thing you thought was going to bring you relief and, and freedom and all of that wasn't going to do that, when you realize all of that and you finally look to the real source, and when you look to him, he will find you and he will be there for you. It will happen. You need to expect God to do miracles. Elijah was frustrated, but he still trusted God. He didn't run out. He didn't get run over. He, he didn't walk out. You need to expect God to do miracles and pray bold prayers. God, Elijah expected God to raise that boy from the dead. Raise him from the dead. God specializes in miracles. That's kind of the definition of God, actually, isn't it? He, he's not God if he doesn't do miracles. And if we're not asking him for miracles, that shows that we don't expect him to do miracles. The fact is, we need to ask and we need to expect. By the way, that ends on a big up. I don't know what you're asking for. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to ask you all to shut your eyes for a second. I'm wondering if there's anybody here who needs a miracle like that. I mentioned some things earlier. It may be a deep hurt. It may be something that's gone on in your life that you can't even talk about. Maybe a dream that you thought was going to happen and you don't see it realized. It may be something with your children. I don't, it doesn't matter. Anybody here at all need a miracle like that? Would you just raise your hand? Anybody at all? I could tell that's sincere because those hands shot up like crazy, crazy. You can put those down. I'm going to ask this question because I, I don't want to ever go a week without. I, I, the fact is, the greatest miracle anybody could have is turning their life over to him and him changing their life forever and ever. That's the greatest miracle. Yes, healing is wonderful. Yes, relationships restored is amazing. Yes, all those things are great. Countries, countries united and peace in Nicaragua would be incredible. But nothing more important than a life changed and a life going from, from an eternity of being lost to an eternity with Jesus. Nothing is greater miracle than that. Anybody here today, you want to start that miracle today and you want to follow Jesus today. Anybody at all, if you just raise your hand, we'll pray with you. Anybody. Would you stand with me? I want to take a minute and pray with you. I want to, if, if uh, pastors, their wives, board, and their wives, anybody on the prayer team, if you want to come forward really quickly, we want to pray with you. And if you raised your hand and you need a miracle today, we just want to pray with you. If it's something you feel like you can't express to, to a friend or a stranger up here, that's fine. We can still pray for a miracle even if we don't know what it is. The fact is God knows. He knew before you came. He knew before the, even the situation arose. He knows and he wants to heal that. That's something that I think that people forget. He wants to do that. Just like you want to do good things for your kids, he wants to do good things for you. If you need one of those miracles answered today, I just invite you to come down. Come down quick and get, get somebody to pray with you. Just come on down and we want to pray with you today.